It takes more than making it through the first four chapters of the Rust book over and over again to be a great software engineer. This is episode 201 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast, and I'm your host, Jameson Dance. I'm your host, Dave Smith. Soft Skills Engineering is a weekly advice show where we answer all of your non-technical questions about the technical field of software development. Someday I'll make it all the way through. Have you seen that How to Draw an Owl comic? <laughs> I think so. Where it says, first you draw two circles, and then you draw the rest of the owl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. rust book is great but i still feel sometimes like it's like here's how a string exists and then here's how the borrow checker works together with these several different types of pointers and i don't know rust <laughs> is great someday i'll learn it <laughs> i was gonna make a joke about how you must be feeling rusty but that would imply that you ever knew rust in the first place <laughs> yeah rust is where the grass is greener right now yes you know like there, it's there's always some other language that will be better than what I'm working with right now, and I can't wait to learn Rust until and find new greener grass after that. <laughs> That's true. You can't even see the new grass until you've gotten to this current grass. Yeah, the grass is always greener. I mean, it's like a halting problem thing there, yeah. right? Like, how do you know? Maybe you you have to find the greenest grass at some point, but you can never tell. Anyways, I'm in over my head. Dave, do you want to thank our patrons? <laughs> yes, thank you to the following people. Dustin McBride, Vinlock, Braden Keynes, Chris Hogan, Dennis Bogdanov, Evgeny Slodkowski, John Grant, Luis Santos, Luke Bayless, Nick Hathaway, Nick Cantar, Philippe John Basile, The Agile Ventures Charity, Sean, Sonic the Hedgehog, Stanley Tactical Radio, Stephen Armand Lee, Taras Haruk, Maple Syrup, Travis, and Zach Grannon. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to softskills.audio and click on support us on Patreon. And if you do, we will send you an invite to our Slack community, which has been growing like crazy. There's over 250 members there now. It's super fun. Lots of good advice, great connections, and you can be one of them for the low, low price of $1. Yeah. I mean, technically, it's more than $0. So yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the lowest amount Try you can it. donate yeah, is. Yeah, figure it out. <laughs> One cent. A uh, hundred. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I love hanging out in there. I learn stuff. I grow <laughs> physically. I just get stronger. I thought you were taller last time I saw you. Yep. We also want to thank Vettery for sponsoring this podcast. Vettery is an online marketplace where you can find your next great job. You can go to vettery.com slash soft skills and sign up there and we'll, you'll, you'll hear more about them later on. Do you want to read our first question, Dave? You bet. This comes from a listener named More Than I Signed Up For. <laughs> they say, I started a new job six months ago and a lot has happened since then. I signed on as a junior dev and have since been given more and more responsibility, including but not limited to deploying and releasing after hours, shared responsibility with the resident senior devs for reviewing pull requests, and aiding in the creation of new processes and overall advancement of our company's software development process and culture. How soon is too soon to ask for a raise after starting a new job? You can ask before you start, technically. <laughs> yeah, I'd just like to, as part of this salary negotiation process, uh, can I also ask for a raise? <laughs> I mean, actually... I said that because I thought it would be a dumb joke, and it is. That's not a good joke. But it is a thing that has happened in real life where I worked at a place where we hired someone, and as part of hiring them, we'd bring them on at one rate and then say, if you're meeting expectations, you'll move up to this rate at six months, mm -hmm. kind of like built into the contract. So it might be a thing. I've done that as well. Six months back, but you're six months too late yes. to do that, it sounds like. <laughs> at first, I was reading this question because the very first 
extra responsibility was deploying after hours. <laughs> and I thought, oh boy, the new kid gets dumped on, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it, <laughs> it sounds like they're very grateful to have you there because they can have you do all the stuff they don't want to do. Yeah. Shared responsibility with the resident senior devs for reviewing pull requests. This is interesting because it sounds like the question asker has an expectation for what they signed up for. Or their name is literally more than I signed up for. It's <laughs> but and, and this is not it. It did not include reviewing pull requests, contributing to processes, deploying after hours. And I think you need to figure out what that expectation is on your side and also on the company side. Because maybe they did expect you to do this. Maybe it was like, yeah, you'll review pull requests. Everybody reviews pull requests. You just might not have as much context to contribute, but but we we participate equally. Mm-hmm. And same with deploys. It could be their expectation that this is a normal thing that everyone does and and like it's not some earth shattering above and beyond the call of duty extra effort that you're deploying it's just just what everyone does so you want to make sure you don't push really hard for a raise and then they say but you're doing the thing we want you to do as a junior at your level like there's no your your reward is to not get fired right (laughs) (laughs) congratulations yeah that's a good that's a really good question you should find out. So what if they do find out and they find out they have exceeded the expectations. The expectation is that they would hide in a dark corner <laughs> and write code slowly and poorly <laughs> and they're doing more than that. So is it too early? I think absolutely not. I think it's basically never too early to start asking for a raise because even if it technically is too early per whatever HR policy you start asking now and you plant the seed for later when it's not too early. Yeah, there's sometimes this built-in clock that starts when you ask and goes like six months or a year or whatever. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't started the clock ticking, then yeah, that's interesting. It also depends on your company's formality here. Some companies have, you know, they'll they'll adjust your comp on your one-year anniversary. Some companies adjust everyone's comp at the same time in the year. And some companies have no formal plan whatsoever. <laughs> so you need to figure out what's going on in your company and then figure out what you need to do to get on the train at the right time. Is that a question you can just ask? Oh, yeah. Can you just say, hey, how, how does comp work? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Who do you ask? And, and Well, you just ask your boss. Well, I, no, what you do is you ask the office gossip. <laughs> the squealer. And when you say, how does comp work, you mean like, how does how many dollars get into each person's bank account? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think I think there are ways to ask this question that can be more comfortable for someone who hasn't talked about these topics a lot. Because I think for some people, it feels weird to approach, say, your boss and just say, hey, when am I going to get my next raise? Yeah. But one way you can do that is you can say, hey, what's our company schedule for compensation adjustments or comp reviews? Yeah, and that would shake out if it exists. It's possible that yeah. you haven't been through one of those if you joined at the right time six months ago. And if it's been six months, I'm actually surprised you haven't heard about this because companies, well, okay, I was about to paint the entire industry with one stroke of my magic brush, but <laughs> most companies I've worked out are pretty transparent about what this process is, at least the schedule for the process. Yeah, it definitely is a bigger company thing, though. I feel like most smaller companies, is it's a little more loosey-goosey, so... Yeah. That's even more reason to bring it up early is because no one else will bring it up for you potentially at a smaller company without a defined process. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So how do you how do you do it? The first of all, the reason I said it's never too early is because there comes a time 
in the comp review process when it is definitely too late. And that is after the decision has been made. And a lot mm. of times that decision is made months before you're informed about the decision. So yep. getting ahead of this is really important. So if you first you do the sleuthing and figure out what the schedule is, and then you go talk to your boss and you tell them like point blank, I think I should or I want to earn X. And you know, if they're an excellent boss, they might tell you, well, you need to do A, B, and C to earn that much salary here, which would be great because mm -hmm. then you have something concrete you can work on. But at the very least, they now know what your desire is. And I got to tell you, having been on the other side of these discussions, when someone comes to me and says, I want this much, it does plant a little seed, a little, I don't know, a little planetoid vibrating in my brain that, you know, reminds me this person wants this. And even though yep. we pride ourselves on being so unbiased and so, you know, data driven, when it comes to these things, you can influence the outcome. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. There are places that try to avoid this problem by having defined salary levels. And I don't think I've ever seen one. It's probably exists. I can't think of one where it's so strict that there's literally no wiggle room. Mm -hmm. But some places try and get around this problem of like, the person who complains or, or agitates more for a raise gets a raise and people who don't, don't by just <laughs> yeah. having these very strict criteria of you're in this location, you are in this role, here's how much money you get. Right. But then the problem turns into like negotiating for role versus for money. Right. So there's, I feel like there's always some, some subjectivity in here where there's room for you to present a better or worse case. Well, I got to tell you, I, so I think this is a good time for my, a story, which is Right when I got out of college, I started my first job in June of the calendar year. And this company did what they call a focal review, which is where everyone gets their comp changes at the same time every year. And the, the review time for this company was like October. And so what that means was that after four months being on the job, when I hit my first October, they said, it's too, you're too new to do a comp change. So we're keeping your comp like it was. And then when the next October came around, it had been 16 months. And remember, I was fresh out of college. So 16 months with no discussion on comp is kind of a long time for a 20-something young kid who uh, doesn't know anything about how this works. And also is pretty sure I got, I, I kind of got lowballed during the negotiation process when I started my first job. So yeah. when I finally got to, the, to that review time, my manager sat me down and said, you know, Dave, you did a great job over the last year plus. You're one of our top performers, and this was a mega gigantic company. And so he had very little room that he could move my money around. And he said, look, the average raise for the office was 3%. But because you did such a stellar job, you got 3.5%. <laughs> did you calculate how much money it was? Oh, yeah. It was probably like hundreds of dollars or something. Oh, yeah. It, it totally was. I mean, let's, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. Yeah. It was like I was making $49,000 at the time. So whatever 0.5% of 49000 is. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I, I was actually really upset by that because I had done so much for this company. I just thrown myself into the work. It's $245. <laughs> for the whole year? <laughs> Yeah, I oh. think unless I did my math wrong. So that's like 20 bucks a month pre-tax. <laughs> yeah. That's like Congratulations, you can order one taco a week <laughs> extra from Taco Bell. <laughs> the, you know, the cheap taco. Treat yourself, Dave. <laughs> anyway, I actually quit that job the very next week because I was so upset by this. And I, really? Yeah, I did. And I got a $10,000 raise to go to my next job. 
So it's like, take that, $245 raise. <laughs> Did you tell them that was why? Uh, you know, I I was such a dumb, hot-headed, young whippersnapper that I, I probably was super unclear in anything that I said to them. Yeah. But anyway, the, the, the point is, I failed to talk to my manager in specific detail until after he was sitting across the table from me delivering the bad news. Yeah. And that literally was like two months too late at that t- at that point. Yeah. Hmm. That's a really good story. I don't think you've told that one before. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. So earlier the better. That's that's the point. Yes. Is there a downside to asking too early? I mean, if you if you become a nuisance and ask every week for six weeks in a row or something, then maybe. <laughs> I think another downside could be if you are perceived as kind of out of line, if 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 your perception of your performance is way off from what they think deserves a raise, yeah. then not only are you, I mean, maybe you were doing fine before uh, or, or not bad enough to cause a problem. Maybe they're avoiding giving feedback or something, but now they have this other little thing that's <laughs> not only is their performance just fine at best, they also have a very wrong understanding of their performance. Ah. But you see, I think that could work well for you anyway, because what that'll do is it'll force a conversation because the manager will realize how out of a line, out of alignment you are on how well you're doing. Hopefully. I mean, I think a good manager would. True. There's also a possibility that it just gets lost in the bureaucratic shuffle of like, sorry, hands are tied, no money to give. We just can't make it work. And then it's unclear why to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think someone would get retaliated against for asking for a raise? Well, there's a lot of bad managers in the world. So, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, somewhere someone has probably been retaliated against. Yeah, that that just seems so icky, though. It feels like, yeah, I don't know. That's get out, I guess, if that's what happens. Yeah. Okay. So I think our advice to this person is basically the sooner the better. Yep. And and make sure you understand what it takes to deserve it. Yes. But asking can can shake that out too. And I like how you said, make sure you understand what it takes to deserve it. And you can ask that question to say, look, I'm not just asking for more money for more money's sake. I want to know what you want to see me do to earn this much. Yeah. And make them get concrete. And this, by the way, is hard for managers to do. Yep. Putting a dollar amount on specific behavior is difficult for them, especially yeah. when they're operating within the constraints of an HR-imposed you know, raise policy. Yeah. But I do have I do have a tip for what you can say to try to encourage your manager to actually give you the raise. Hit me. You say, look, I want this raise. I want this much. And then you say, look, when I am your boss, I will remember this day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think the question is answered. <laughs> if you've been a software developer at the same job for a few years, it might be time to start looking around. Quit your job is our favorite advice. But first, you should probably find a new job. <laughs> Trust me, it is better this way. (laughs) Check out a service called Vettery, which matches developers with employers based on what you want, like your location, salary requirements, and technologies you want to work with. I actually signed up myself, and within a week, they sent me an opportunity that looked really good. My current approach to job seeking is tweet dumb stuff and hope the company notices me. So this sounds like an improvement, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Once you sign up... You get a consultant to help you find opportunities. I also like that Vettery lets you specify your salary requirements early rather than going through the whole interview process only to find out 
Wah, wah. Your salary expectations were way off. That actually happened to me in an interview. Would have been nice to avoid that. You can start using Vettery without reversing a linked list on a whiteboard too. They don't have a coding test to sign up. If you are thinking about taking our advice, the soft skills engineering patented advice and quitting your job, check out Vettery. Go to vettery.com slash soft skills to sign up. That's V-E-T-T-E-R-Y.com slash soft skills. If you use that link, you will help support the show. And if you get a job through Vettery, they will send you $300. Thank you so much to Vettery for sponsoring the show. I'm going to read our next one. Okay, this is from a listener named Andrew. Andrew asks... As a military veteran of eight years, I have the opportunity to enroll in a master's program for little to no cost, but I'm not sure what kind of program to choose. I'm a web developer and also serve as my team's agile owner, kind of like a scrum master, which I really enjoy. In fact, before I got my first dev job, I trained in scrum to try to get a leadership role in the software industry and use my bachelor's in engineering management. It seems logical to continue in that vein and to choose an engineering management master's program, but I enjoy being a direct contributor and applying my agile training without any real responsibility as a manager would have. I sometimes think I should go for a master's in computer science and double down as a technical knowledge worker, but I fear I'd be in way over my head since I don't have a traditional computer science background. On the other side, part of me thinks I should get an MBA like some of my friends from college to hedge my bets for climbing the corporate ladder in the future. On top of that, lately I've been very interested in learning about design. I'm just not sure what to do, and I have a habit of making big decisions with my head instead of my heart, which sometimes leads to eight years of military service, which I don't much enjoy. <laughs> so I'd love any advice I can get. Thanks. Soft Skills Engineering is my absolute favorite software industry podcast. Why, thank you, Andrew. Oh, thanks. I love how Andrew says, I have a habit of making decisions with my head instead of my heart. And I thought, wait a minute. Don't most people have the opposite problem? Yeah, I think so. I think I even read it backwards. Head instead of heart. So it seemed like a really good plan to to do eight years of military service. And then I assume he found himself not loving it. Oh, so maybe he did the math, but didn't. Yeah, made the pros and cons list. Yep. And he left off the con that like, but I will hate this. Yeah. Yeah. I huh. I think that's actually great that you make decisions with your head not your heart though. I guess I guess yeah. really you need to You know, this ties in so perfectly. A good friend of mine did a master's degree in engineering management at Stanford a few years back and took a class on how to make good decisions. And the, mm-hmm. and you know, you would think that a academic institution would focus on just like how to be a cold-blooded logical analytical decision maker, but no, the class yeah. is all about how to balance head and heart. It was like talking about, it said, lay out all the pros and cons, do all the analysis, and then take a step back and see how you feel about it. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. And you didn't even have to go to Stanford. You just had to talk to your friend. <laughs> I saved thousands the same of dollars. education. <laughs> saved so much time. In fact, I went ahead and updated my LinkedIn profile to say that I have a Stanford degree now. Stanford trained. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a transitive master's degree. <laughs> I read a book by someone that has a master's degree. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it's kind of a a core assumption that they will go to a master's program because it's cheap. Yeah. I think, I mean, you can just not do that too. Yeah. That's not, there's opportunity cost, even if it's cheap for you. I mean, maybe it'll be a part-time program, so you wouldn't have to give up a job, but then you're giving up your time. This is a very good reason to invoke an opportunity cost analysis don't you think we should probably talk about what opportunity cost is yes 
Do you want to explain it, Dave? Uh, no, you brought it or up. Do you want to laugh at me yeah. while I explain it? Okay. <laughs> you have to do it. So I mean, I have a master. I have a transitive master's degree from Stanford, but I think you would be more suited to to explain this. My backpack has a master's degree because my dad took it to school. It's been passed <laughs> down to me. Opportunity cost is where you choose one thing, but it you're you're giving up choosing a different thing. So it's like what value what what value are you giving up by not doing this other thing? Sort of. Okay. So for a master's program, the opportunity cost would be like the cost of just not doing a master's and having more free time or focusing more on your current job or whatever you do at that time, kind of like the next best option. Right. So like if you have a family, it could the cost could come in the form of lost family time. Yeah. It could come in the form of lost dedication to your employer because you're going to be out doing homework and class assignments and stuff. Yeah. And, and that, that make no mistake, that is a cost, right? It's a big one. And in this case, that's basically the only cost. Yeah, free is weird. It doesn't yeah. say little. Well, it does say little to no cost. But yeah, free definitely ignores opportunity cost. There's a restaurant around here. I guess it's around everywhere that has like a free sandwich day. And people will line up for hours to get their free sandwich. <laughs> and you could not pay me enough money to sit in line <laughs> for a sandwich <laughs> that was free. That's like a classic opportunity cost. These people have like... They're like, well, I mean, I was just going to sit at home and play Xbox, so. Yeah. <laughs> but it's even worse than that because presumably you're you're less happy. It's like yeah, true. the value of my time is less than zero. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's what you're saying. <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, opportunity cost. Yes. Think about that. Yes. And, and it also depends on your goal. Like if you want to get into engineering management or into individual contributor work, I don't think a master's is a, I don't think it's a, it's a clear path to that necessarily. So let's, let's lay out the options here. So we have no degree to continue, mm -hmm. a CS degree, engineering management degree, an MBA, or some kind of design master's. I think those were roughly the five options that we were looking at. I would like to include going back in time and not getting your original degree as well. Yeah. That's a sixth option, <laughs> removing the degree yes. you currently have. <laughs> as boring as it sounds, I kind of want to march down each one of these options and talk about the pros and cons. March me down. Okay. Let's start with, we already talked about the no degree. I mean, the pro of the no degree is that you can focus more on your work and your personal life and maybe you could get into tennis. I know you've always wanted to get into tennis. So just think about that. <laughs> now, let's talk about computer science. So you already have a full-time job as a web developer. So you already have a foot in the industry. A computer science degree is a great way to get a foot into the industry, but you already have that. And so once you're already in the industry, going back and getting a master's degree in computer science, I'm not totally sure it's going to like give you a leg up to the industry that you're already in. What do you think? I agree with you. My impression of master's in computer science is that they're relatively theoretical. Mm -hmm. But they're also not deep enough for you to go get a job as a as a researcher or a scientist at a company. So it's this weird mix of like, it's not pragmatic in that it'll help you in your day to day writing web developer code. Yep. And you won't be able to get hired as like a an an AI developer or yes. engineer or something like that. And I think there's a really strong chance that given that you don't have a bachelor's degree in computer science that that absence, that foundational gap might cause you a lot of struggle in a master's program. Yeah. I mean, if you are interested in it, it seems, I think it would be rad. Yeah. It's probably fascinating if you like that kind of stuff. If you're not inherently interested in it, though, 
I, yeah, my, my gut is it would not advance your career a whole lot. I agree. Now, I do have an interesting story on this front. I have two friends. Well, I have many more than two friends who did this, but I have... <laughs> <laughs> I have two friends. <laughs> yes, no, I have... I have 250 friends in our Slack oh, okay. community. Yeah, um, true. Okay. <laughs> but I have two friends who went down this master's degree path with different motivations. And I want to just tell their stories briefly because they had different outcomes and they went in for different reasons. So the first friend got a master's degree and he was already gainfully employed at the same company as I did. And I asked him, why are you doing this? And he says, I'm doing it to make more money. And I just looked back at him and said, you're not going to make more money with a master's degree. Um, but that was his only motivation was the money. And I think in hindsight, I was probably right. Now, you can always find examples of people who got the master's degree and have more money than people who don't have the master's degree. But in this case, I make more money than him. Okay. So, <laughs> setting that aside. Who got the last laugh yes. now? <laughs> and I did not get a master's degree. But then I have another friend. So, so this guy, I actually said, the first guy, I said, look, don't, don't get a master's degree. I think you're wasting your time. Yeah. He ignored me, got it anyway, and he's doing fine. But the second friend got a master's degree because he loves computer science and he loves programming languages and he loves compilers and he loves theoretical stuff and he he was going to spend all his time studying and fiddling with this stuff anyway so he went and got an online master's degree from like a well-known university and it's been great for him plus when he came back to work he insisted that everybody call him master which i think how, ah. how do you put a price on that <laughs> It's whatever the price of <laughs> enrollment plus his time. Yeah. So, and, and him, I actually said, yeah, you should get a master's degree. This is great. And he just loved it. He loved all of his courses. He produced a master's thesis that he still references now 10 years later and shares with people because it's actually, it was a pretty practical, relevant thesis. In fact, I just went to lunch with him yesterday and he was telling me about how he was citing his own master's thesis to settle an argument at work, <laughs> which is like the best thing ever. Yeah. So, you know, these are two two cases where I think in neither case did it really increase their earning potential significantly, but in one case, they just absolutely loved it. Yeah, you brought up a good point about credentials and breaking into the industry where if it, it can be harder if you're on the outside to get in without without kind of outside validation and credentials. But if you're already in there, you already are developing a network, like theoretically, mm -hmm. you should be able to kind of get your next job based on what you have produced in your current job. Yes. Yeah. So it sounds like you're leaning no on the master's in computer science in, unless it's an inherent interest of yours. Exactly. And I think one way to assess this is to ask yourself, what doors will open as a result of each of these degrees. And in the case of the CS degree, I, I don't think any new doors will open for you. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe if there's just an area you're really interested in diving deep mm -hmm. in, but to be just kind of a general developer who is better at their job than they were, I feel like a master's is not necessarily going to do that. So I think we agree. Cool. MBA. Hit me with the MBA. Oh, so the, so the MBA is a totally different ballgame because now we're talking about doors will open that would have been basically close to you. And I have seen so many examples of people who went back and got an MBA and then like doubled or tripled their salary and got to work in positions that never would have been open to them beforehand. This is especially true for engineers transitioning into leadership, like serious leadership, executive level, level leadership within yeah. medium to large companies. So, I mean, if that's what you want to do, I think an MBA would be a fantastic option. Yeah. I feel like there's an well, I, I'm stopping the march down through the options. What was the other one? I already forgot. We have engineering management and then something design related. Oh, yeah. I didn't even know there was an engineering management degree until this question. So yeah. that's how much I have to contribute there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, that in and of itself is a data point. The yeah. fact that you haven't encountered this in your, what, 10 years of professional experience? 
Yeah. That says something. Yeah. I think there's this underlying desire I'm reading into this question to get better, but they're torn between do I get better at engineering management or do I get better as an individual contributor? And they're looking at it through this lens of which degree should I get? Right. And I feel like that's the wrong. I mean, I don't know. I'm biased, whatever. But but I feel like a degree isn't this magic piece of paper that will make you better at the job. Like mm-hmm. if, if you want to be a better engineering manager, I think being a really strong engineer is an important component of that because it's hard to be an engineering manager without uh, the, the kind of technical baseline. And you don't have to... The skill sets are different. Like being a great engineer will not make you a great manager, but not having a strong individual contributor background will make you a worse engineering manager. Mm, okay. So I'm not sure how long Andrew has been in his current role, but it does feel very much like if, if he's worried about moving into engineering management, like how do I get that credential that proves I'm ready? And it, it feels like kind of the wrong question to me in, in a way. I, I would say that probably more than 90% of the engineering managers that I know, and I know a lot of them, do not have anything besides a engineering undergrad or master's degree. And they yeah. do not have an MBA. Same, same, same. And even at my current company, which is very, very large, you have to go pretty high up the kind of executive hierarchy to find where you can't get there without some kind of advanced degree. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess if that's what you're going for, then then sure. But what's my point? My point is the caffeine has run out of my brain, <laughs> so it's shutting down. <laughs> I can just, I can hear little pieces going like, boom. <laughs> <laughs> the little windows shut down music little, little lights are going out <laughs> in my head i think the there's like this underlying skepticism or what's another word for it that word was in one of those lights that turned off <laughs> yeah. it's it's like this this like big boss man with his fancy piece of paper wants to come and tell us the real practitioners what to do and i feel like that's 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 kind of the a bad way this could work out if you think I will get this degree and then I'll be able to manage engineers mm-hmm. where you, you don't have the, you don't have the, the, the clout the cred to back it yeah. up. Yeah. It's like, I don't think I would care if my manager had a piece of paper or not. I would care if they seemed competent or not. Yeah. And, and you can get that from a program, from a master's program, but there's almost part of me that would think like, this is to cover up the fact that they don't <laughs> they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> oh yeah, so you're saying that it might actually make people skeptical of your abilities. I think it could. I mean, I have this like inner cynic, contrarian, like grumpy part of my brain and I think it would influence me to look negatively on things that I would not have looked negatively on if I didn't know that about the person. Ah. It's like it's like that that like suits versus I don't know what the other thing is. Suits overalls? versus yeah, overalls are the things you wear when you're not wearing suits. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but uh, there there's I don't know, there's like this this negative view of MBA graduates of these like corporate drones that just kind of are good at networking and theory and and are kind of clueless about how the real world works and Yeah. I think what I'm hearing you say is that you're concerned that getting an MBA might actually close the door on engineering leadership or at least narrow the door for you a little bit because you'll have to overcome the skepticism of your line level purely technical folks. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it would be it would be different if you were getting an MBA as an experienced engineer and experienced manager, but if you were trying to break into engineering management and you were saying, "Hey, I have an MBA, like that's why I am that's why I'm I'm qualified to do this." I feel like that would look negative. Yeah, I think you're right. But if you're going after MBA things like executive level leadership for the business, 
then I think an MBA could be a leg up. Don't MBAs make PowerPoints? Isn't your job to be an <laughs> analyst and work 100 hours a week, like shuffling slides around? And <laughs> Probably. I don't know. I don't know anything about MBAs. You know, I've seen product managers go get an MBA and it's been really valuable for them. I actually work with somebody that has maybe an that's MBA an option. and I should talk to them about it. Yeah, maybe you should have done that before we <laughs> Before I maligned their whole, their two years of their life they spent learning. Listen, I, I read Harvard Business Review. I don't need an MBA. <laughs> it's the same. <laughs> Another option to consider here is to just wait. Say, look, I'm going to spend the next two years focusing on developing my technical skills on the job and then reassess where I am. I'm assuming that this military benefit will not expire in just two years. Yeah, I, that's, I, I know nothing. I don't know. I think that's a good plan, though. It does feel like, yeah, it, it feels like more real-world experience might answer that question, too. And and if the goal is to get yeah. into engineering management, like, you can just do that. You don't need a degree in it. Yep. Well, we answered the question. Oh, uh, almost. There is one more very important factor for you to consider. What? Okay, and that is the machine learning, data science, applied science yeah. field, which is a a field that for whatever reason right now is dominated by people with advanced yeah. degrees. It's it almost seems like a a completely required checkbox to get to get into these yeah. to get into this field. Probably 90% of the people that I know at my company who are working in machine learning as not not okay so this is a little bit complicated but there are machine learning engineers whose job is to like build ML infrastructure and you know deploy ml models but then there are also the machine learning scientists who actually design develop train and who deliver the actual machine learning science artifacts and the research and you know the documentation and almost all of these people have phd's yeah. probably 90% maybe 80% but a lot and so that's something to consider as well as if you want to go into that field which is a burgeoning field right now and just a fantastic way to have a great technical career is to get into that field but if you do that you'll need a phd in one of the hard sciences so that is another option you should probably consider a very challenging option but it could be one that opens a ton of interesting doors that right now are closed to you i read a tweet that said it's hard to get in because everyone is thinking those same things that's my that's my contribution to that like the 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 advisors who specialize in that are, are kind of like full mm -hmm. up at a lot of places what, what do you mean full up so oh it's hard to get into the degree program yeah yeah like if you're studying if you want to study machine learning or ai or get a phd in it you have to have an advisor that'll work with you and and there are a lot of other people interested in that same thing oh interesting it's almost like there's this new pent-up demand and and a yeah. short supply of training resources man what a bummer hmm. <laughs> don't even try it's gonna be hard <laughs> that's what i'm saying yeah <laughs> yeah your point makes sense to me i do not work closely with uh, machine learning or AI folks. I think you have, know that more directly. But from just my far-off vantage point, it seems like that as well. Yeah. Not saying you can't do it, but that certainly is a good way in. It's like a water slide into it. So, you know, I, I think final. my final answer is, if I'm in your shoes, I would not go and get a master's degree right now. I would give my current employment situation a couple of years of just, just committed personal development in my craft. And during that time, not only will you be improving your own technical skills, but you'll also be rubbing shoulders with more people with different backgrounds, and you can start to get exposed to some of the outcomes from these various educational pathways that they followed. Yeah. I think out of all of these, it feels like an MBA is the one that would most make a difference in your career. 
where I don't think a master's in CS would move your career much. I don't think a master's in engineering management would move your career much. I think you could probably do mostly the same work at the same places as a manager or as an individual contributor. But I think you're right that an MBA is like the biggest addition to your current skill set and credentials. Yeah, that makes sense. But I agree that it feels like a thing to add after, not not kind of how to start out. Yeah. Have we answered it? I think so. Good luck. All right. Good luck. What can people do if they want their own questions answered? Go to softskills.audio and click ask a question. Thank you so much to everyone who has done that. We get so many questions. We love all of them. You are the lifeblood of the show. Keep them coming. I have no more words. I I was being serious about the caffeine. My brain. All right. (laughs) We'll catch you next week.